gorgeous listeners and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glow S podcast. We are here to chat all about the world of sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host Dr. Caroline West and as always I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise It really does help to keep the mics on and the podcast going. Or if you like, please pop over to Apple and rate and review, which really helps get the word out about the podcast. If you want to get in touch, the Twitter and Instagram is at Glow West Podcast. So today, you know, we were back talking about not necessarily the negative sides of sex, but the healing from negative encounters around sex, because that is just an important part of sexual wellness for people. Just as much as orgasms are, it is important to know that there is support out there for people who have experienced things such as sexual assault. So obviously there is a trigger warning going into this episode that we will be talking about sexual violence, but we are predominantly focusing on healing from it and different ways that people can regain um, that sense of control over their lives or how whatever sense that they want to regain over their lives. So I have the perfect guest today. Today I'm joined all the way over from America. So I'm talking to Desdemona, who's the pronouns they, them. They are a photographer, writer, filmmaker and advocate for survivors of assault. Desdemona has worked closely with advocates from the National Organization of Women to amplify the voices of survivors to make changes within the legal system. Currently, they are the founder and creative director of Survivors Toolbox, which is a web series and online platform to aid survivors after experiencing sexual assault. Desdemona, thanks a mil for chatting to me today. How are you keeping all the way over in lovely New York? We're doing pretty well out here in New York. The heat is finally breaking, so that's good. Tell me about your work. So you are the founder and creative director of Survivors Toolbox. So first of all, do you want to explain to our listeners what that actually is? Yeah, so Survivors Toolbox was originally started as a web series for survivors of sexual violence. The videos are short clips of about three to five minutes each episode that goes into different topics that are helpful information and tools for survivors to have after experiencing assault. The main purpose of the videos is to help give survivors the sense of control again so that they can make decisions for themselves that are based in a solid kind of education around what their choices are. And since creating the web series, we've slowly started also developing a, an online um, platform via Instagram, where we just give people helpful tools and information for getting into the kind of either self-healing work or other tools to make decisions about finding a therapist. Um, we just recently started working Um, giving information to folks about how to go to get legal, to get legal support. Um, And that's been our, our newest series that we've been working on. So just offering, using media in a bunch of different ways to offer folks tools after an assault happens. Yeah, which is really important because people reach out for help in so many different ways and everything like that. And can we ask where where the motivation for setting up such a great initiative really came from? Yeah, so it 
We actually started this right before the Me Too movement. So it was before a lot of people were really even talking about assault. And I think that after, specifically after Trump's election in the U.S., there was this kind of resurgence of recognizing how big of an issue this was and that it really wasn't being taken seriously. And as much as there have come to be a lot of initiatives that are proactive around ending sexual violence, which are really amazing. We kind of found, I was working with a group of advocates and we found that something that was lacking was the kind of aftercare. What do you do after an assault actually happens? Because unfortunately we don't live in a world where that is gonna be ending soon, I don't think. I'll just um, get you and to just repeat that last because the motorbike or something. Yes, so yes, yes. You, you yes, want to take course. that from um, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, our belief was that this kind of violence will probably continue, at least for our lifetime, um, as much as it is amazing that there are initiatives being created to, to stop it. But we wanted to really give survivors an opportunity to have support that they need after an assault occurs and really discovering that in when someone isn't in a state of trauma, how difficult it is to really like sort through all of these like websites and information and they're really text heavy and that, you know, like the, the print is really small. And so when you're in a state of trauma and trying to figure out how to move forward, that that type of information can be really hard to receive and kind of weed through. So our hope was that we could just offer information in um, an easy, digestible, comprehensive way for folks to be able to, again, make those decisions for themselves. And that's, that is really important. And some people have literacy issues, you know, they may not have the English as their first language or uh, lots of different reasons why people don't want to read stuff as well. Like you're saying, it's very overwhelming and, you know, you may not want to read about sexual violence sometimes, but you might want to watch a web series, you know, it might be a bit more accessible for people. So talk to us about the kind of topics that you cover on the web series. And it's very accessible. And like you said, kind of not easygoing because that betrays the subject matter that it is, but it's not jargon filled and complex stuff. Yeah. And even down to like the colors that we chose to do the videos, we wanted to keep it all kind of like bright and poppy in a way because you are digesting this information that is a little bit harder and why continue to make it even more challenging by making it really like, like dismal and sad. It's like, we all know that this is dismal and sad. So like, let's kind of not lighten it in a way that um, invalidates the seriousness of it, but to just give it a platform that's a little bit um, just more easy to interact with. Mm. But the series itself, the episodes that we've produced so far have been, the first one we did was more about trauma and healing trauma. And we focused on that for a really long time and have talked to a lot of different therapists and um, body workers and really tried to bring an understanding of all the different levels of healing that can happen. The first episode focuses on just really simple meditation and breathwork techniques for people to use to come back to their body in a triggering situation. And we tried to make these really accessible because you're not always sure exactly when anger might come up. It could be you know, on the bus or on the train 
or um, just in the office. There are so many, there are so many different ways that this could happen. So yeah, for sure. yeah like so there's that's a really important point because people don't always have immediate access to like a therapist that if they feel triggered they can just ring up or pay a hundred euro or whatever it happens to be. So I think that that sense of being empowered to be able to do something if you are on the bus you know you can do something there and then you don't have to phone anyone and let people sitting next to you listen to your conversation so I think that's really nice and accessible and most people should be able to you know manage a breathing meditation or something like that there and then so I think that's really helpful to have yeah that sounds like a great idea yeah exactly just like little tools that people can touch in with whenever it is that they need them excellent okay and you have you have a couple of episodes already um up on up on the website and what are the other topics that you focus on as well in those so our next episode the second episode that came out that's um addressing kind of legal issues and how to um report to law enforcement we waited a really long time to put this episode out because we do understand that that's a really challenging subject for a lot of people. So we've been trying to have a lot of, um, just a lot of sensitivity around that topic and recognizing that going to law enforcement doesn't feel safe or comfortable for everyone and that it is always the choice of the survivor. But ultimately we decided that for those who do choose that that's the best direction for them, we wanted them to be able to really understand the legal process. So that second episode talks about just, yeah, what to expect when you go in to talk to the police and what the interview is going to be like and these other kinds of things. That's really helpful. Yeah, because I'm sure if you had absolutely zero idea of what it was like, that could be really overwhelming if you're thinking it's, you know, going to be 10 people in a room or something or whatever happens to be. Like people, when you're in trauma, you, you know, your mind fills in the gaps with all scary situations sometimes. So that's really helpful to have and you also talk about you know one of the tools that people can use in in your survivors toolkit which is a great name is a body scan talk to us about that so we're not talking about going to the airport and stepping into one of the the airport machines and getting scanned that way (laughs) yeah not that kind of scan but kind of similar i guess you can think about it in terms of what that body scan would look like and take it kind of internally. So the body scan is just really checking in back with your body. Uh, I think a lot of where trauma comes up is people feeling unsafe in their body and having this like fear of, of safety and how their physicality is. So the body scan helps to kind of just bring you back into recognizing that like, I'm safe right now. I'm okay. Um, and that is just going through and just doing a quick check of doing, taking some simple breaths, breathing in and breathing out. And then with each breath, focusing on different areas of the body. So first you can focus on the face, then to the shoulders then to the arms and fingers, and then just keep traveling down the body like that, taking a breath in and then just focusing on a new body part as you're inhaling and exhaling. And this just like brings an awareness um, into the body that there's that there's safety there. I think that's really important and to be present in the moment because sometimes when you're in crisis your mind races ahead and goes what if this happens and what about this or or else you're replaying what has happened in your head so maybe that that moment of 
grounding can be really really empowering for people and obviously you can do that without anybody else noticing that you're doing it as well exactly exactly and I think that it can even help if this is something people feel comfortable with when you're doing a body scan it can help to like touch your your arms and touch your elbows and your hands and your legs and so you're really getting this sense of really feeling yourself and knowing that that you um that you're that you're here in this moment and and grounded and and safe Mm, i think that's that's so you know we can't underestimate the power of that as well and what you also talk as well and i think this is so important not that they're all not important but the seeking pleasant sensations as a tool i think that is just such a lovely thing um talk to us about what that looks like for you and what you talk about on the web series about yeah this is actually something that we talked about also we did a short live um a set a series of live videos as well that talked about um coming back into your body and your sexuality and um a lot of the uh practitioners and um specialists that we talked to for that series really talked about uh gaining a new rela- relationship with pleasure and i think that seeking any kind of sensation in the body can be a little bit scary after an assault because um because just it, it like heightens the nervous system. So everything is kind of getting heightened and getting reacted to and activated. And so it's easy when even experiencing pleasure for a trauma survivor, it's even the pleasure can activate the nervous system in a negative way. So I think that we talk about it differently through the specifically through episode one in seeking pleasant sensation, but something I really liked from one of our other series was this person was talking about um, elevating your pleasure in every moment. And in the sense of like, if you really like a smell, having like a candle that you light while you're doing work or um, when you're doing, like when you're making your coffee in the morning, playing music that you really like, like these really small ways of how can you bring a little bit more pleasure into every moment in your life so that you start to be more okay with having pleasure in your life. And, and it can be just so small. And I I think we underestimate these small things and how much they can actually impact our well-being and mental health. So yeah, that's like a seeking a pleasant sensation of this, these little acts of pleasure throughout the day that I think can really help someone to just have a better relationship with pleasure after trauma. I think that's really important. And it's not just necessarily pleasant converse um sensations it's like treating yourself with kindness and reminding that you deserve to be able to have pleasure on your own terms and whether that's sexual pleasure or like you said like you know lighting a candle or even like a face mask you know nice things for ourselves. i think that's really important to nourish yourselves that way i think that that you know that can get lost sometimes if you're in crisis mode of like, how, how do we nourish ourselves and, and treat ourselves with kindness and compassion? So is, is that part of that kindness coming into your work as well? Yeah, I mean, I hope that everyone, whether you're a survivor or not, can bring more kindness and compassion into your life and into your world. Um, I don't know that we specifically talk about this through Survivor's Toolbox, but yeah, I think that people learning I think a lot of what happens in trauma is that something feels as though it's taken away 
And a lot of the healing work that has to be done after that is like starting to learn how to um, take, take it back in a way, like take your own autonomy back, your ability to make choices. Um, you're taking your body back, like all of these ways that you want to empower yourself. And I think that showing yourself kindness and love is a huge way that in which you can kind of cultivate that feeling of, of nourishment. That's it's really important because I think it's it's almost impossible when you're in that kind of immediate crisis mode to think that you will enjoy things like sex ever again because it's just been such a horrendous experience. Would that be a common res- response from victims that you're dealing with? Yeah, I think definitely coming back into sex after an assault is a is really is challenging. I, I think for a lot of people, I know that there's also the response of being overly sexual after um, trauma. So either of those ways, either being hypersexual or being kind of afraid to engage in sexuality um, are both responses after trauma. And so coming to a healthy relationship with sex again takes a lot. I think it does take a lot of effort and it takes the the willingness to have a partner that you're able to you don't necessarily have to talk to an, a partner about your assault, like, you know, whatever someone feels comfortable with, but having a partner that can at least be accepting that maybe you're not ready to have sex with them right away. There's all of this social pressure to like have sex on the first date, or if you're not sexually intimate in your relationship, that it's like not a good relationship, but in actuality, intimacy can look so many different ways. And if all you're ready to do is, is hold someone's hand, then I think being honest with yourself in that and being, having the courage to express that is, is a really good way to just slowly start to move back towards intimacy. Yeah. And I think people underestimate that slowness sometimes because it's going to look different for everybody, but I think sometimes we're as humans, you know, we can put time limits on things of like, why haven't I healed yet? It's been x amount of time and that that's not how it looks in reality unfortunately if there's a magic switch that would be great but do you find that people put that pressure on themselves as well do i find that people put that pressure on themselves yes yes definitely i i think that yeah kind of like what i mentioned before i think socially there is a lot of pressure to like be healed and be better and it it does take it can take a, a lot of time to actually um, come to terms with the challenges that you have. And I think there's also, there could be a lot of shame that's associated with healing. Like I shouldn't have to heal. I should be fine. I should be okay by now. And the reality is, is that everyone's own healing journey looks so different and so specific to them. So it's just a matter of again, like being in a space where you can be just really honest with yourself and know what it is you're ready for and try to, I, another thing that someone we spoke with said, we talked about shame and the relationship with shame. And I think in the healing journey, like having a conversation with these kinds of feelings is like shame or any other kind of trauma and um yeah just being willing to to face those emotions yeah that's really important and not putting that time limit on there because it just 
it's just not how humans work we're messy and that's okay and you know that's just life where we're going um and i know that on your on your instagram you know you have a lot of resources for lgbt lgbtq plus people um and why specifically would would you need like specific resources for people of the queer community to in order to heal well, we did a series during Pride that was specifically around finding uh, therapy for uh, and healing for LGBTQ folks. And I think a lot of the time the queer community gets a bit lost in the conversation around survivorship. I think something also that we try to do is not create um, gender stereotypes around the work that we do, recognizing that all genders deal with deal with sexual violence and specifically trans folks deal with a lot of sexual violence. And they, these groups, a lot of the times are just left out of the conversation. So I think for us highlighting those groups and making resources that are specifically focused towards them. And there are actually a lot out there. So I think we also just wanted to use our platform to share that they are out there and, and hope that in sharing them, people find it easier to find them. Um, but yeah, just making sure that all people feel included in this conversation because all genders are, are deeply impacted by this and all sexualities are deeply impacted by this. And I think in the general social conversation, you know, a lot of people I think would assume that if you're, if you identify with that community, that this isn't something that impacts you. And that's just not true. Yeah, sadly, so it's it's like there's no reprieve from things like sexual violence, you know, for many communities. But we are changing that, and there will be in the future. We will stamp most of this out. We will get there. Um, but you you also talk as well about the issue of grey areas, and you have shared um what you've called your survivor story on your Instagram. Um, talk us through that approach because a lot of people get caught up in the gray area of things and especially around consent and sexual violence and it's a massive space for a lot of blame or questioning and or shame and that's obviously makes things complicated there so talk us through that and, and how that experience was for you to share that as well well I think that the gray I think in the conversation of sexual violence uh, unfortunately, we've been really conditioned by the judicial system as far as how we think about when an assault occurs or doesn't occur. And the truth of the matter is, if a person feels as though they were violated, that is their truth. And that is going to impact them. And that's going to create an environment where they need to heal from. So maybe for you know, you couldn't necessarily take that scenario to a police officer and have them take you seriously, unfortunately. However, it still is something that the individual will need to heal from. So I think that the gray areas in which there are many, we need to collectively be able to address that there is confusion oftentimes in sexual in sexual encounters um, and confusion in the sense of we don't really talk about sex in a healthy way in our society so I think that people are 
don't always treat it with the most respect or treat those kinds of intimate occurrences with the utmost respect, which can lead to people feeling feeling hurt and assaulted and not taken care of or considered in those situations. So I think it needs to, we just need to start moving beyond the black and white of everything and moving into understanding that even if someone can't necessarily be convicted in the court of law, which is how we've generally looked at these situations in the past, um, there was still harm done and that harm needs to be addressed, which is why I think it's also really important to think about um, community care and transformative justice when we're talking about assault and sexual assault and how to um, work past that yeah, in our community. for sure. T- talk to us about that concept because that's fairly new to a lot of people because we know the justice system fails victims on quite a regular basis, unfortunately. So people are floating the idea of community care and trans- transformative justice as alternatives or maybe as complementary systems. Talk to us about what that looks like in reality. I mean, I'm still working out for myself what that looks yeah. like in reality. It's complicated. Um, it's very complicated. And I think, one, I don't think that it's something that we're like trained to do. I don't think that many people know how to have conversations of accountability um, around hurt that's, that's happened in the community unfortunately a lot of times when assault happens it is it is people you know and they're and like how do you address that pain that's happened how do you address that person and I think a lot of times people feel like oh I'm not close enough with that person I don't have the right to say anything um I'm just gonna let it blow over I don't want to address it because it's really scary to be the person to like come forward and be like hey I heard that this is something that you did and it needs to be addressed. And we also don't know how to create, we have a hard time, I think, creating containers for those types of conversations. So I think, you know, moving towards, moving towards being able to have those discussions, um, understanding better what accountability actually is. What are you asking for when you're asking for accountability? Who, is the person who's going to hold that person accountable? Uh, How are the other people in that community going to also maintain those rules of accountability? And I think that those are the types of steps that need to be taken when harm is done inside a a community of people who know about that harm. It does 100% need to be addressed. And I think bringing law enforcement in in that situation is not going to have the same kind of positive transformational effects. And that's why we call it transformative justice, right? It's the the hope that in holding people accountable, they will be able to change and transform into a better person, understanding that the harm that they've done and what that's caused, but still being shown compassion and consideration, even in the face of that harm. Mm, Yeah, and it it sounds great on paper. It's just how we transform that into reality with messy humans and you know we're all flawed humans and it's kind of hard that way but I have I've kind of seen some things around this in like maybe perhaps some sex educator circles or kink circles but the people 
you know, doing the accountability work of holding someone accountable and working through with them, you know, making sure they understand their harms. It's always been women or non-binary people or trans people. Mm. It hasn't re like, and obviously this is just the examples I've seen, so I'm not speaking for everybody, but I haven't really seen a lot of cis men step up or cis white men even. And mm-hmm. that's obviously a problem because you can't have half the community not buy into community justice. Like, how's that going to work? So how do we get everyone maybe to even start even thinking about this as an option? Yeah, that's so real. That's super real. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Like, it's, it's a hard and a very frustrating because it, it's like, you know the victims shouldn't need to also have to do that work at the same time and and it doesn't need to be gendered but that looks like the reality at the moment again from what I have seen I'm not obviously speaking for absolutely um everyone so do you think it's like you know maybe bringing it into like schools and education systems that way might be one way forward yeah I mean I feel like these kinds of there's lots of trainings that I feel like they're that more children should have that are around based around community care like even like bystander training and yeah transformative justice training um if kids were able or children were able to be given those tools at a younger age I think talking about those things and even I don't know I mean I guess if I was a teacher like how do you bring that stuff onto the playgrounds you see it happen all the time. Like someone, a kid hurts another kid and they don't talk it out. The kid that who hurts the other kid just goes into timeout or whatever. So I think the way that's, I think with community care and transformative justice, we actually use, we kind of use the prison system in lots of ways in our life. And like, that's how I feel about cancel culture. Like that's on accountability. There's no accountability there. So there's all these ways in which we use these harmful systems to kind of, to cut people out instead of asking them to actually show up and be better. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it could happen at a really young age, but I think we have to start recognizing how often we actually really put into practice these harmful systems instead of asking people to, um, to, to, to step up and own what they've done and then actually try to work through that. And I think also it's scary to own what you've done because of things like cancel culture. Like people don't want to admit that they did anything bad because they're afraid that no one will accept them ever again. So it kind of creates like a system. Like where um, you're not allowed to ever make any mistakes ever. We're not obviously talking about sexual violence, but just to right. be safe. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> But, you know, if, if you just say the wrong thing or, you know, you're coming from a place where you haven't had that education or you're just, again, a messy human, like it, it feels like there's not a lot of room for growth and um, or even like like fucking up and learning from it and actually becoming a better person as a result from that. I think like what I've seen a lot from the States is um, especially during recent trials and stuff and people on Twitter would say, oh, it's justice for again like the latest victim of like say police brutality and people saying it's not actually justice it's accountability and I thought that was a really Mm. important nuance of of language so maybe we can reframe a little bit of how we talk about these things like do we get justice or do we have accountability and what does that even 
mean in real life and what does that actually even look like because obviously the justice system doesn't work as it is for sexual violence like especially in Ireland um I you know I'm sure in the states it's very much the same I think our conviction rate is something like between one and ten percent and that's only of the cases yeah, that same. get to trial um and that's that trial is re-traumatizing for the victim as well and it's reported on and all this kind of stuff so it just feels like there has to be a better way and I think a lot of the time that's kind of left to victims to figure out and you're going you're these people are already traumatized <laughs> like now we have to put on their shoulders their responsibility for fixing the world and the legal systems and it's like that's kind of a lot to, like to kind of do but yeah like how do we go forward I know like your your, th- your thing is like you know you're creating these resources and that's your contribution to this change uh, you know and how we deal with um sexual violence and how we help survivors but like what else can we do you know it, it's like there's so many jigsaw pieces to contribute to the healing but we're missing loads of them you know, big question like, no pressure there <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh well i don't know <laughs> yeah. i mean i think for us that's why we went to resources and education because i do think that if people can be more educated for themselves, they can feel empowered to make the decisions for themselves. Um, and I think that in healing, not even just trauma, but just trauma in general and being more like empowered in your body, all these things are hopefully helping people to know when they're safe and know when they're in danger and know how to get out of an unsafe situation. Um, and feel good about taking themselves out of an unsafe situation. Um, I feel like, yeah, after doing this for so long, it feels like sexual violence is so pervasive. Um, It's really hard to even see a world where it wouldn't exist, which is super sad to say. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That was like very grim. (laughs) But I mean, it's, and it's a common thing for people working in this area to feel because it can be so overwhelming. I suppose like the positives that I take out of this kind of work and stuff, because you have to find them, is that there's so many more education programs being set up. There's so much more of a willingness to have conversations around this. I mean, Instagram has not shut you down yet. So that's always a positive thing because they're not very, um, great at talking about sex and things like that and that there are people like you putting out alternative resources into the world so it is very overwhelming and but there is change and there's massive change and you know even things like stealthing not that long ago was perfectly legal because we didn't have a name for it you know and we if we can't name something we can't educate around it and legislate for it and all those kind of things so there, there is hope, but obviously, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a, like you said, it's grim sometimes and stuff like that. But so, so for self care, then you know, it feels like a good time, like, you know, you're working in this area, and there's going to be people listening who are working in this area as well, or supporting friends who've been through it, or, um, not necessarily survivors themselves, but like just helping, you know, others around them. So how can people mind themselves that they? don't feel overwhelmed supporting others because you know the chances are we probably will be at some point in our lives actually we used to do more in-person um events before the pandemic and a lot of it was trying to get 
people who weren't survivors to the room to have exactly these conversations. So I think it's really important for, for community members across the board, not who have just been through assault, but those who haven't, because like you were saying before, it shouldn't be totally on the survivor um, to figure everything out for themselves. So I feel like the more people are educated, the more they can be a resource um, for help for people who are going through this. I, I just don't think that education should be all on one group of people or, or not. Um, but that being said, I think helping someone go through this, I think it's really important to understand your own boundaries. Um, if you're not in a state where you're prepared to really actually be available for someone who needs to talk about trauma or their trauma or their experience, you, it's important to vocalize that. And honestly, if you feel that that friend or person actually needs to see a therapist or needs to see someone who is more equipped for those tools, something that can be really helpful is like, Hey, I'm not emotionally available to support you in this way. I'm happy to help you find a therapist or I'm happy to help find, you know, a group for you to have these discussions. And I think it's really okay to say what your boundaries are and find other ways that you can help that person. Um, because it, it doesn't necessarily require you to be fully available in an emotional sense in order to be able to help that person. Absolutely. And like, it's always important to remember most people are not trained therapists or, you know, sexual violence support advocates or whatever it happens to be like we're just regular old humans muddying our way through the world so a lot of the time people are like I don't know what to do and that's okay you don't have to you can what we can do is be a signpost maybe and then say I exactly. I can't hear all these details but here's someone who can you know and I think that's really important so I'm really glad that you said that there. So um, I'm really excited to see how the web series develops and, and the kind of content that you're going to put out there. And I think that's really great. Um, what uh, Do you have future plans? Are you kind of recording away? How, how are you going with that? Yeah, so we'll be doing this kind of section on legal advice for the next probably month or so. And then we're actually going to start doing um, some pieces on transformative justice to piggyback off of what the other options are if people don't feel that going to um, law enforcement is actually supportive for them. So that will be, we'll be on that topic for the next month or two. And then our next episode is going to be about receiving a rape kit or a sexual forensic exam and just giving people a sense of what to expect in that, how to get one, um, how to prepare for one, just kind of giving an, an overview because that can definitely be really triggering and sometimes more, more traumatizing than the, you know, assault itself for some folks, I think. So just giving people a better basic understanding of what that entails. So people can go in, if they choose to go that route, people can go in feeling like they know what, what they're, um, what to expect in the experience that's so helpful because yeah absolutely if, if you don't know it's really scary and and it's okay to be scared as well that's completely you know an absolutely understandable reaction as well so it's really nice i love that you're doing that so that's fab and um, where can people find all these wonderful videos and resources if they want to go look you up 
Yeah. So we're on Instagram at survivors toolbox and our episodes are in their full length, um, along with some other really great resources and websites that go along with each of the episodes that you can find on our website, which is survivorstoolbox.org. And pretty soon coming up here, we'll also be sharing some uh, PDFs that'll go along with each of the episodes. We're trying to give as many different types of media tools. So however someone best um, gleans information, they can do it through the video or through the Instagram or through the PDF um, and kind of choose, choose your own adventure. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah, exactly. And I like that you, you can because, you know, there's so many different ways that people engage with learning and stuff. Not everyone's a reader, not everyone's a visual person, and that's all OK. So I really like that you have those options, which are fab. And Khmer, listen, this has been absolutely wonderful. It's been great talking to you and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and chat because it's just such an important conversation, and I think, to have and, and to know that healing is possible and that there's ways to explore you know how we can actually tackle this in society so i do really appreciate you chatting to me today yes thank you so much for for having me you had some great questions i loved our conversation (laughs) thank you well look we'll have you back at some point when you're like further in in the web series and we can discuss all the fab stuff that you've put up as well so that would be all good so episode six we'll do a follow-up yeah definitely definitely um so yeah and camille i you know urge all my listeners to go and check out the content as well even if you're not a survivor you might know somebody who is and you can send it on to them or you can just share it out in the world and say hey this is a cool thing and you never know a survivor might be listening and may that may change their life and they may you know that might be the turning point for them to gain help and stuff so that's really important to remember um so thanks Mill, as always for reach or for listening in if you want to reach out about the podcast the twitter and instagram is at low west podcast and i'll chat to you next week